You see, Brazil, uh, Brazil holds a special part in my heart, and I know if you've ever been to Brazil uh, with one of our mission teams, you would say the exact same thing, that God does some amazing things there. And there's a lot of reasons for that. One of the things that you'll notice about the Brazilian culture is they are uh, very expressive. And so when they have worship, now they call themselves Baptists, but I mean, come on. When they, when they have worship services, they've got dance routines. I mean, wouldn't you just love to see Mr. Wade up here at part of a dance routine? I mean, I would. I would love that. <clears throat> yeah. I mean, you know, right? I mean, we just, we want to express ourselves. And, you know, John Paranich, how awesome would it be to see him doing the two-step up here? I mean, come on, right? We, we got to get excited about church and about Jesus. And so they're very expressive. And so when you are, uh, when you go to a worship service in Brazil and uh, when you are on mission, you go to a worship service every single day in Brazil. And so they've got song after song. And so they're very expressive. And they love, they love for us to come up and sing. They love for us to be a part of that. Now, look, here's the truth of the matter. It doesn't matter if you can sing or not for a couple of reasons. Number one, they have no idea what you're saying. So you could sing, you know, la, 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 and they would, you know, they'd be excited about, you know, you being there and singing. But number two, love transcends culture. And so they just love us, and they love Jesus, and so they are just enamored with the fact that we uh, don't really relate to each other, maybe uh, linguistically, but we relate to each other spiritually. And so it is an awesome thing to see and to be a part of. So one year I was there, and uh, they wanted us to get up and sing, and they wanted us to, you know, be a part of the service. And so uh, I play guitar, of course, not often, I think in the 10 years uh, that I've been here, I've played one time, uh, but I do play guitar sometimes, and so we were over there, and so I get the guitar, and, and we're out, you know, Melanie, my wife is there, and so she's going to sing, and some other people are going to sing, and so, uh, you know, in their expressive style, they play music extremely loud, extremely loud. I mean, it's unbelievable that you're in the middle of the jungle, and yet they have the ability to broadcast music. It's extremely loud. And so I have the guitar. I'm playing a guitar. Now, again, I'm not Conley-level guitar, but I can play, all right? You know, I I mean, I'm not terrible. So I'm strumming the guitar. We're playing. I'm looking over there. They've all got the microphones, and so they're singing. And so Melanie has the microphone, my wife again. She's singing, you know, whatever we're singing. I think it was, uh, I can't even remember the song. It's so traumatic for me. Uh, so I'm, I'm playing the guitar. Melanie looks over in the middle of the song in the microphone and says, drop the pick. That's the guitar, you know. So I'm strumming, and all of a sudden I'm like, and I just threw the pick down. Because Melanie realized that the music that I was playing was louder than the words that were coming out of their microphone. And so I'm trying to get the rhythm going. Well, in my mind, I was crushing it. You know, I mean, I'm in Brazil. Like, you know, the music is going. I mean, like, I'm nailing it over here. I'm, I'm you know, ZZ Top or something. Well, in Melanie's mind, I'm like a four-year-old who just discovered a guitar. And so she screams, you know, drop the pick. And so I'm like, you know, and so I'm playing, playing the guitar at that point. You know, no one can hear my amazing skills and she wanted to display her amazing vocals, right? 
No, not really. But so we always joke about that. So for years we've talked about the fact that, you know, Matt was uh, out of balance. He was out of rhythm there. Now, you know, if, if I'm full confession here, if we uh, are having a dance contest, I'm going to be in last place because I have like three or four left feet. So I'm, I'm not rhythmic when it comes to that. Uh, but, you know, as I thought about the message today and, uh, you know, as we talk about be, uh, being who Christ wants us to be, uh, there's a lot of things that we try to be, right? We try to be a lot of different things. Uh, clearly, I'm not a professional guitar player. Uh, and there's a lot of things. As a matter of fact, there's most things that I'm not. And you would say the same thing. But in our life, we try to be different things. And what happens in life is that when we try to be other things, when we try to be things that we're not, we get out of rhythm. We get out of balance. And sometimes when we get out of rhythm, it causes speed bumps. It causes problems. It, it causes issues. You know, uh, for me, you know, a lot of this may be confession today, but uh, life goes really fast for me. Uh, life speeds up a lot. I often feel like I'm going 90 miles an hour. And, and what happens, I've found that when you go faster, when you get out of balance, when you get out of rhythm, uh, maybe you can relate that you, you run into relational issues. You may run into uh, problems that you didn't foresee coming. Some people run into financial issues. Spiritually, we run into issues when we're out of rhythm. And, and here's how we would communicate that. We would say that, well, God feels really distant to me. I, I would say that we've probably all been there at some point or another, and it's because we're out of rhythm. You see, there's a rhythm or a cadence, if you will, uh, that God intends for us in our life. Now, if I were to ask you the question, and this is a common D group question, but uh, what were the highs and lows of your week? What was the high point of your week? What was the low point of your week this past week? There, you know, you'd probably come up with a lot of different things. Maybe they would be spiritual, maybe they wouldn't. But when we think about rhythm, our rhythm of life is what interprets those highs and lows. You see, if we're in step, if we're in rhythm, as Pastor Tony talked about with the Spirit of God, well, then what happens is, in our life, is that those highs and lows don't define us. But when we're out of rhythm, those highs and lows begin to define us. Webster's Dictionary, if you were to look up the word Rhythm, you would find that he defines it as an ordered, recurrent alternation of strong and weak elements in the flow of sound and silence, which is a little confusing if we're being honest. Said another way, first blank here this morning on your handout, what rhythm is, is rhythm is the flow of life as a result of, be, of Jesus being the source of who we are. Rhythm is the flow of life as a result of Jesus being the source of who we are. You see, when we try to be something that we're not, what happens is we are driving or drawing our source from things that we are not, things that we were never intended to be. And so that maybe, maybe it's ed education and you draw your source from academia, maybe it's uh, uh, financial, uh, and you draw your source from satisfaction of, of money. Maybe it's uh, professional. Uh, maybe it's social. Uh, maybe you draw your source from how many likes you get or how many people comment on your photos. You see, when we look at this source of rhythm, it involves, according to Webster again, both the strong and the weak elements of our life. That's where rhythm is. You see, the things that we're good at and the things that we're not good at. 
those are all part of rhythm. You know, I, I hope the Brazilians don't remember my out-of-rhythm guitar playing. Uh, but for me, I remember that as a weak point, right? Something in my life that I tried to be that I wasn't necessarily. And so it involves these strong and weak points, but it also involves, and I think this may be the more important part, it involves sound and silence. It involves sound and silence. Many people today avoid silence. Now, we could spend the rest of today talking about this, that we're not good at silence, that we, we've got the television on all the time, we've got the radio on all the time, we've got you know, social media and Alexa and all these different things that are happening that are trying to draw our attention. And for the most part, I would say that it is rare for people to hear from God because of those things. It involves sound and silence. And in, in the midst of this constant engagement and lack of silence, if you will, what's happened is we have found ourselves in a society that is completely worn out. Completely worn out. Lives are unbalanced. People are irritable. People are anxious. People are stressed out and unable to find rhythm. Now, if you're here this morning and that is you, well, this is probably what God intended for you to hear. You see, all of our times uh, in life, at one time or another, we find ourselves out of balance. And the result, when you're out of balance, can be catastrophic if you leave it unchanged. When I was younger, uh, I had a 19, it was my first vehicle, a 1988 Toyota pickup truck. Two-wheel drive, single cab. No right side mirror, 22R engine, four speed, no air conditioner. Did you get all that? Right? So it was the best truck God ever made, right? It still hangs out in uh, my parents' yard. Uh, 1988, right? So it was an amazing truck to me. And so one day I decided that I would take my two-wheel drive, four speed, four cylinder truck mud riding. Great idea, right? And so I took it out into the woods, and so we're, you know, going through, you know, very shallow mud holes. And so I get into uh, a little deeper mud than I should have, and so I actually got the truck stuck way off in the woods. And so, of course, it's two-wheel drive, and so we go and get another four-wheel drive truck, and we pull it out. Well, I bring it home, and uh, I didn't tell mom and dad about it. And so I just shined it up real good on the outside, so I thought, and uh, so everything was good to go. Well, Dad came home, and he was driving it the next day, and so he got in it and drove it. Well, he gets back to the house that afternoon, and he said, what is wrong with the truck? And I said, I have no idea. Why would I know, right? So he says, well, no, something's wrong with the truck. What did you do? And so I had to confess, you know, hey, I went mud riding the truck. Well, you've, you've torn it up. You know, it's out of balance, and this is happening. And it, and it feels like the tire's going to come off when, when you're going down the road. And so uh, actually what happened was I did not clean the chassis of the truck. And so there was a bunch of mud that had caked up on the inside rim of the tire. And so it dried by the time he went uh, the next day. And so when the tire was in rotation, it was out of balance. And so he thought that the truck was completely torn up. But in reality, there was just a little mud on the inside of the rim. I would say the same thing is true for most of us, that when we get in the middle of those situations, we would look at our life and we would say, my life is completely torn up. It's out of balance and there's no way that I can fix it. But the reality is there's probably just a little mud on the rim. 
And so in our life, what we need to do is we need to look under the hood, if you will. We need to look under uh, the chassis and say, hey, what, what is here that doesn't belong? What are some things in my life that are causing me to be out of balance? And how can I get back in balance? And so that's the intent for us to talk about today is what does that look like for me? In Luke chapter 10, <clears throat> Jesus has sent out the 72, <clears throat> as you read in Luke chapter 10, of course, Luke chapter 10 also involves the parable of the Good Samaritan. And so Jesus is telling us what it looks like uh, to love our neighbor. And then he goes into this village. Now, it's in Luke 10 that we'll pick up in verse 38. Again, page 1196 in the Bible in front of you. 1196. And this is what the Bible says. Uh, Luke is a physician, very big on detail. And so here's what he says. As they went on their way, Jesus entered a village. Now, we believe this to be the village of Bethany because this is where Mary and Martha are from. It says a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. So it appears that this is the first interaction that Martha and Jesus have together. And so Martha comes to know who Jesus is. Apparently, we're, we don't, we're not privy to that information. And so Martha finds out about Jesus. They apparently have some type of interaction. And she welcomes Jesus into her house. Now in verse 39, it says she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. Now I know you've heard messages on Mary and Martha and you've read books probably on Martha and Mary. And so we're going to look at it from a little different perspective today. But you know the questions always, are you a Martha or are you a Mary? I think that's actually one of the questions on the back of your handout that you'll discuss in community group. And so there's this, this uh, dichotomy, if you will, this, you know, these two parts to where there is this Mary who is sitting at Jesus' feet, who's clearly been introduced to Jesus, who clearly knows and respects who Jesus is, and who's enamored with and desires to know more about Jesus. And then on the other hand, you have Martha, who has welcomed Jesus in. She's organized this whole get-together, and yet she is very uh, distracted, the Bible says, verse 40, with much serving. And so this town of Bethany, uh, Mary and Martha, we come to know in the Gospel of John, chapter 11, uh, have a brother, and his name is Lazarus. And so you're, you're familiar with that passage in Luke, uh, I'm sorry, John 11, uh, where Lazarus dies and Jesus goes and eventually raises uh, Lazarus from the dead. And then they have this get-together in John 12, and that's where Mary anoints the feet of Jesus. And so this is the Mary and, and Martha that we're talking about. Jesus is in town. Martha has welcomed Jesus into her house. Mary, who again has become introduced and enamored with Jesus, puts everything to the side to focus on Jesus. Martha is distracted. Martha is distracted, the Bible says, with serving. You see, in church, it can become very easy to be distracted with serving. That we've got Jesus as the central focus of, of what we do and who we are, and yet oftentimes we put that to the side and we focus on doing. You see, it's ironic here and very interesting that the word serving that is used here, it means service or ministry. As a matter of fact, you may be for, more familiar with that word from the word deacon that we see in Acts chapter 6. 
that Mary is serving, not that she is a deacon, but that deacons serve. And it's the same word that is used there, or Martha rather. And so Martha is focused on serving. That is her focus here. And what's happened in Martha's life is that even though Jesus is sitting right before her, or we would say in our context, even though Martha has access to Jesus, she chooses not to utilize that. She chooses to do something. So Martha is out of balance. The Bible says she's distracted. Now, here's what we would say about Martha. Well, what's wrong with that? I mean, there's nothing wrong with Martha serving. I mean, somebody's got to do something, right? That's what, you know, we would say is that Martha's, she's serving. How is that bad? Well, her intentions were good. That's what I believe. I, I believe that she was the one who invited Jesus into the situation, right? She welcomed Jesus into her house, and she wanted to make sure that everything was good and right. And, and so she began to focus on uh, serving Jesus. So she invited him in, but she lost the focus of who Jesus is. When I was real little, we uh, had a skating rink in town. And so uh, we were having a birthday party for me there. And so I was, you know, super excited about this birthday party. And we invited a friend of mine named Tommy to come to the birthday party. And so his parents said, well, can Tommy ride with y'all? Uh, we're busy that day. And so my parents said, yeah, sure, Tommy can ride. So Tommy gets in the car with us, and we go to the skating rink. And so we're there, and, and we had a great time. I'm a professional skater like I am a professional guitar player, right? And, uh, and so we uh, finished the party. And, of course, you know, birthday parties for kids are awesome because everything's about the gifts. And so I got all these amazing gifts. And so we load all of the gifts, and we take them out, and we put them in the car, and we leave. And so we're riding home that day, and I, I distinctly remember this because my mom turns around and says, you know, hey, that was a great party, everything was awesome. And I said, yeah, it was awesome. And I said, where's Tommy? And she said, what do you mean, where's Tommy? And I said, I thought Tommy rode with us. Did his mom come pick him up? And she says, oh, my gosh, we forgot Tommy. And so, of course, she slams on brakes and goes back. And, and little Tommy is sitting outside of the skating rink just waiting for someone to come and pick him up. So here we invited, I invited Tommy to be a part of my birthday party. But what happened is I began to focus on the other aspects, right? I began to focus on the gifts instead of the people that I had invited. Now, that may be a silly example, but the illustration is this, is that often in our life, we invite Jesus or we welcome Jesus into our situations, and then we become enamored by the gifts in which he brings with him, right? You see, many people have invited Jesus into their lives and become so captivated by the benefits of his presence and yet forgot about his presence, that life has gotten out of balance, they no longer actually pay attention to Jesus because of the gifts that Jesus brings. You see, a believer's rhythm always pursues the presence of Jesus over the presence from Jesus. You see, we in our culture today often focus on the benefits. And the benefits will never be measured of what it means to know Jesus and to walk in relationship with him. But, but what's happened, I believe, in our church culture today is we've become enamored with those things and we have moved our focus off of who Jesus is. You see, the presence of Jesus is always sufficient. Martha thought she was doing the right thing. 
She thought she was doing the right thing, that she was involved in, in what was happening there, that she had welcomed Jesus in, and that she was trying to make sure everything was good and everything was right. You know, we're about to go into our seventh year of D groups. And, um, you know, in some shape, form, or fashion, most of you have been involved in a discipleship group. And if you're new to D groups, D group is just where three to five men or three to five women gather once a week together uh, and study the Word of God and memorize Scripture and hold each other accountable. And so as we think about discipleship groups, um, what happens is, Sometimes our good intentions may get in the way of what God has in store for us. Let me give you an example. I would say that a lot of D groups are peer groups. A lot of D groups are peer groups. In other words, you know, your friend and you get into a D group together. And you would say, well, why is that a bad thing? You know, I love my friend, and I want to be, uh, you know, involved in Bible study with my friend, and I want my friend to hold, we do life together, and so I, I, that makes sense for me to be in a D group with somebody who's my friend. Well, here's the problem with that. That's not discipleship. It's not discipleship. I know you're, you're, you're thinking, wait a minute, what, what are you talking about? Listen, Mary was not sitting at Martha's feet. Mary was sitting at Jesus' feet. And so oftentimes when we talk about peer groups and D groups, what happens is you're not learning from each other because discipleship is where you have someone who is more spiritually mature than you that you are learning from and they are leading you. That's what discipleship is. When Jesus discipled the disciples, Jesus clearly was more spiritually mature, and you would say, well, he was Jesus. Well, look at the model of the disciples, and we'll look at some examples in a second. But the disciples, when they, when they discipled other people, what did they do? They brought them in, and they began to teach them the Scriptures. Mary sat at Jesus' feet. Discipleship relationships require submitting to someone more spiritually mature than you as you're on the journey of transformation. So as you begin to think about your discipleship group next year, I want to challenge you to not get into a D group with someone who is your friend. If you want to grow spiritually, you need someone in your life who you look up to spiritually, who is spiritually mature, who will invest in you and that you will learn and grow from. Now again, this is about to be our seventh year, and I can give you a lot of examples of D groups. I know everyone that's existed. And the stories that come out of those, I can tell you, those that are most successful and those that grow and change the most are those that are in a group of someone that is more spiritually mature than them and they can learn from them. But a lot of people are not doing that. They are getting in groups with their friends. Listen, sheep do not lead sheep. We were talking about this a few weeks ago. You know what happens to sheep who lead sheep? They get eaten by the wolf. Both of them do. No one is there to protect them. No one is there there to lead them. They don't know how to get out of the trouble that they're in. And when you have sheep leading sheep, what happens is you both get eaten. And so when you think about discipleship, you've got to think in, in terms of growing, of stepping outside of your comfort zone, of doing what you think is right or even the good intentions of that. The disciples did not disciple one another. They did not do that. They were discipled by Jesus. So here's Martha doing what she thinks is right. She's focused on doing things. All the while, Jesus is oversitting in her living room. She's distracted. 
You see, distraction is the enemy of listening. We talked about being sound, uh, being full of sound and silence when it talks about rhythm. Well, there's no silence when we're distracted because we're not listening. And what happens in our walk with God is that we tend to value volume over things, accompli- of things accomplished. rather. And so we call the things that we accomplish productivity, right? That we're getting things done. But God values the importance of things accomplished. It's not the volume, but it's the importance. And what God calls that is fruitfulness. In John chapter 15 and verse 5, Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So as we think about listening, well, listening often doesn't feel like doing, right? We say, well, look, I want to listen to God, but I've got to get things done. Well, listening could end up being the most important thing that you do. Clearly, we see that example with Mary. Now, it's easy, it's easy to fault Martha, right? We can look back and say, I mean, well, how, who would do that? Jesus is clearly right in front. If Jesus was in front of me, I would not do that. But in reality, we are just like Martha. When you and I are out of rhythm, we get distracted. A few weeks ago, I went canoeing with the students. If you've never done that, it is quite the experience, and you should go. And so I won't call any names, but there was a canoe who decided that three people was better than two, which if you've never canoed, that's a bad idea. And so there's two people canoeing, and there's one doing nothing in the middle, and they, the one in the middle is not paying attention to the other two that are working, and uh, so what happened was the one in the middle and we will not say Frankie's name, he tilted the canoe. And what ended up happening is that Frankie and his two participants ended up in the water with the canoe upside down. And the water is, you know, flowing through, and so the canoe is filling up and steadily sinking. And they stand there and say, I don't know what happened. And I said, I know what happened. I know exactly what happened. What do you mean you don't know what happened? You see, in our life, we get distracted. You know, Frankie's looking around, and I'm just messing with Frankie, but, you know, we look around and we see things that happen in our life, and we start to get distracted by that, whereas promotions or activities or kids' activities or all these different things that we can be distracted by. And listen, those things are not bad things necessarily, but anything that distracts you from Jesus becomes a bad thing. And so here's Martha, and Jesus is right in front of her. But yet she doesn't respond. And so she went to Jesus and she said, verse uh, 40, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. I mean, this is hilarious, isn't it? Jesus, look at all that I'm doing and she's not doing anything. Tell her to help me. And so what happens is, Jesus said, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. Martha told Jesus, she has left me to serve alone. Tell her to help me. Now, full disclosure, we've all been there. Right? We feel like we're doing everything. I remember, you know, when I, first was, uh, when I first surrendered to the ministry, I remember being told that 10% of the people do 90% of the work. And so, you know, in ministry and in church ministry and in church, you know, sometimes that's the case. That's not the point today. Martha told Jesus, it's me. 
She's complaining about serving. But complaining about serving is not serving. It's not serving. There's a stark difference between someone who is a servant and someone who serves. You can serve and not be a servant. You see, a servant's nature is to serve. And servants serve with joy. Martha was focused on doing or serving, and she was complaining about her serving, to which I would have said, you should just go home, right? If, if you're at an event or whatever with the church and you're complaining about serving, then clearly you should not be serving. So Martha is actively serving Jesus, but she's missing Jesus. You see, if we do not initially cultivate a heart for God, we will only create a list of duties which is disconnected from our relationship with God. You have to cultivate in your life a heart for God. And the way that that happens is through listening and time spent with Jesus. You see, our doing has to originate from being with Jesus. You see, when we talk about being with Jesus, both our relationship, is, it initiates that way, but it's something that is ongoing. You see, Martha wasn't interested in spending time with Jesus. Her life is defined by duty. Here's how you know the difference, okay? Her duty has left her anxious and troubled. There is no joy in her service. Her commitment to her duties has disconnected her from her love for Jesus. Is that, is that you this morning? That your doing has become so laborious that it's taken the joy out of being a part of church, it's taken the joy out of being a part of the kingdom. Look, the church is just the people, right? I'm not talking about you coming to this building. I'm talking about you being the church. Has, has that joy been removed because you have all of these things that you have to do? I know as we talk about D groups, a lot of times early on the question was asked, well, you know, we're behind or we've got to finish. Well, the goal of D group is not to finish the book. I don't know if I've ever finished the book any year that, you know, in the last six years. Look, look, the goal of D group is not for you to attend. If you just show up and you haven't participated, why did you come? Right? The goal of D group is discipleship. And what does that look like? It means that you and I become more like Jesus. That is what discipleship is. When we disciple someone, what we do is we're giving away what we possess. And what we possess is who we are in Jesus. Look, I'm not interested in you doing or saying things like I want you to do or say them. That's just going to make you look like me. And a lot of times you don't need to look like me, right? You need to look like Jesus. We would all say that. And so most people don't disciple anyone because they don't have anything to give away because they don't have anything that they've gotten from their relationship with Jesus because they're so focused on doing instead of receiving from Jesus himself. They've not centered their lives on Jesus. They are centered on doing for Jesus instead of being with Jesus. It's easy to miss. Martha was right there, and she completely missed it. So the natural question that I would ask myself was, well, how did Martha miss that? Well, here's how she missed it. It's very simple. She missed it because she was focused on herself. She was focused on herself. If you come to church based on what you can get instead of what Jesus has done for you, then you came for the wrong reason. You see, when I focus on myself, I focus on my position, 
But when I focused on the kingdom, I focused on my possession, right? That I possess a relationship with Jesus. Look in Mark chapter 10 and verse 35. These will come up on the screen. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to Jesus and said, Teacher, we want, to do, uh, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. Well, that's a trick question, right? And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit one on your right hand and one on your left in your glory. Right? When I'm focused on me, I'm focused on my position in the kingdom. But when I'm focused on Jesus, I'm focused on the reality that I am a part of the kingdom. You see, when I focus on myself and my efforts, I'm falling into the trap of doing. John Calvin said it this way. He said, the ruin of a man is to obey himself. That I would focus on myself, that I would do what I think benefits me the most. Well, it is not the pursuit of self that transforms our view of God. Listen, you can try to be the best version of you for the rest of your life, and that will not transform your view of God. It is the pursuit of Jesus that transforms the view of ourselves. Think about that. That when you focus on who Jesus is, you become less of the focus. And then you see yourself as part of what God is doing, not the reason for what God has done. Right? We have a me problem. That we think everything revolves around me. That we think that we're the most important thing in our life. And this Western culture idea of becoming the best version of me or do what makes me happy or take care of me. And listen, the church is not irresponsible in this. The church has done the same thing. What's happened is the church has promoted this with the focus over the last three decades or so of decisions think about this. If you just walk an aisle and pray a prayer, if you accept Jesus into your heart, and it's this end-all, be-all decision type of reality that people think that if they just go down and say a certain thing or perform a certain action, if, if maybe they were baptized when they were young or whatever it may be, and there's no fellowship, Everything has, has been predicated on that one moment where people say that they made a decision to follow Jesus, but yet in their life, they're not following Jesus. It's this decision mantra that the church has so fixated upon. You see, the problem with the conversion-centered gospel is that it does not propel me beyond myself. Everything is about me and that I did this and that I did that. It's private, it's individual, and here's what it does. It has no appeal to enter into a life where we take on God's agenda. We simply try to add Jesus to ours. And you know what this does? It results in, listen to me this morning, a life that is spiritually dull and boring. And most people never win their neighbor to Christ because your neighbor looks at your life spiritually and says, that is the most dull and boring life I've ever seen. If Jesus makes that difference, I don't want any part of it. Many people have become satisfied with church, but bored with Jesus. That is hard to say, but very true. You see, this is the indicator that doing has become the focus and not Jesus. We can meet as a body, and we can focus on doing everything that we could possibly fathom. But if we're not focused on Jesus, we have completely missed it. It turns out that 
The main feature in most Christians' lives today is congregating. This makes us, most of all, passive. But Mary is not passive here. Mary is focused on being. Mary sat and she listened to Jesus. And you know what the result of Mary listening to Jesus was? Look at this. This is fascinating. John 11. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and seen what Jesus did, he did, they believed in Jesus. The result of Mary's being with Jesus is that other people came to know Jesus. That is not a life that is dull and boring. That is not a life that is passive. That is a life that is focused on Jesus and the flow from her life drew other people not to Mary but to Jesus. As a result of Mary's focus on Jesus, other people were transformed. So what was the difference about Mary and Martha? Well, Mary had her eyes on the kingdom. Mary was focused on the kingdom. You see, being focused on the kingdom simply means being focused on Jesus. I want to be very clear about that. This requires that you and I slow down and focus on who Jesus is in our lives. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33, Jesus himself said this in the Sermon on the Mount. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you. He, did not seek, he didn't say seek first all the things that you can do. Seek first your satisfaction. Seek first what makes you happy. Seek first what you want to do. He said, no, seek the kingdom, the kingdom of God. This is the rhythm or the cadence, if you will, that God intends for us, that we would be submersed in the kingdom. You see, the message of Jesus was not that you would do something. The message of Jesus was not that you would join a church. The message of the good news had come face to face with humanity. And the message of Jesus was that I have made, Jesus has made, the kingdom available to all. That's what good news is. The good news is not that you have figured something out and that you're better than your neighbor because they don't go to church. That is not good news. The good news is that Jesus has made God available to everyone. That, my friend, is good news. You see, the kingdom of the focus, the kingdom was the focus of Jesus, and the kingdom was the mission of Jesus. It was not doing activities spiritually or religiously. It was focused on the kingdom. As a matter of fact, the kingdom of heaven is mentioned 31 times in Matthew, and kingdom of God is mentioned 51 times in the Gospels. Church is mentioned three times. So in other words, it is not you gathering here that God is most interested in. It is that you would gather at the feet of Jesus, and this is a result of what Jesus is doing in your life. That we are the the church, and that means we're being the people of God. The kingdom has always been central to our relationship with God. It has always been God's means of relating to us. His purpose has always been to raise up a people who would embrace the mission, embody the name, and obey the word of God. That's God's desire for his people. As a matter of fact, from the very beginning, Jesus said this. From the time that he began to preach in Matthew 4, he said, Repent. For what? For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And the last thing that he said as he ascended into heaven, he presented himself alive to them after suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days. And what did he do? He was speaking about the kingdom of God. 
From the beginning to the end, Jesus was focused on the kingdom because he brought the availability, the good news, the reality of who God is. Colossians puts it this way, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and he's transformed us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin, Colossians 1, 13 and 14. You see, when we begin to view our lives through the lens of the kingdom, everything changes. We begin to see things differently. Last week, if you haven't uh, if you haven't been able to come on Wednesday nights, you should go back and listen to a message Pastor Brian preached about uh, the centurion's daughter who was sick, uh, Jairus' daughter was sick. And then um, on the way to heal her, uh, Jesus uh, encountered the lady who had the issue of blood uh, for a long time, right? You remember that? And so she grabbed a hold of Jesus' uh, clothing, and Jesus turned around and said, Hey, who touched me? I perceive that you know some power has gone from me. <coughs> And the beginning of that text uh, is this man who comes to Jesus and said, my daughter's taken, she's dying. And <clears throat> Jesus is on the way to heal this, you know, this girl who's sick. But when he stops and the lady with the issue of blood uh, intersects him, Jesus stops and he focuses on the woman. And here's what Pastor Brian said. He said, in the middle of that, if you're the daughter's dad, what are you doing? You're tugging on Jesus like, come on, man. Look, you can, she's not dying. My little girl's dying. you got to come do something. But that's not what Jesus did. He stopped, and in the moment, he focused on the lady, right? And he, he solved her problem. But most of all, he changed her life. And then in the midst of that, he, he took a complete time to do it. And then he turned and he went and focused on the little girl. Which, by the way, while he was helping the woman, got word that she had died. Imagine if you're the father in that situation. If you'd have gone faster, man. If you'd have just done more. I told you to come on, right? But Jesus stopped and he focused. Why did he do that? Why did he do that? Well, here's why. Jesus stopped and he focused on this woman because he was focused on the kingdom. You see, interruptions in life become kingdom moments when you're focused on Jesus. But when you're focused on yourself and you're focused on doing for the kingdom instead of being in the kingdom, you miss those interruptions. And you see them as distractions. And you don't see them as God moments. You see them as distraction moments. You see, when we're focused on the kingdom, we begin to approach being differently. We realize that our citizenship in the kingdom is not based on our performance. And what it does is it liberates us to see Jesus not from a dictatorship where we have to do to be, but it moves us into a kingship perspective where we are simply captivated by his majesty. The eternal kingdom, the unshakable rule of God, the visible and the invisible, the kingdom where Jesus is Lord and King. We, the church, are simply citizens of that kingdom. As we get to the end here, I want to show you a text as we look back in Luke chapter 10. If you'll refer back in your Bible, verse 38, it says, As they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed Jesus into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him, and what did she say? Lord, curios, Lord, 
and verse 41, but the Lord answered her. Isn't it interesting how that language changes? That she was introduced to Jesus, she welcomes him into her house, and now she refers to him as Lord. What happened? Mary sat at the Lord's feet. This indicates submission to his lordship. Lordship is first in salvation, but it is also part of our daily rhythm of life where we put the priority of Jesus first in our lives. You see, before Jesus launched his public ministry, what did he do? He spent 30 years establishing his oneness with God the Father. 30 years. As a matter of fact, we have very little information about what Jesus was from zero to 30. Because what was he doing? He was spending time with the Father. The disciples also prioritized time with Jesus. In Mark chapter 3 and verse 14, it says, He appointed twelve whom he also named apostles so that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach. See, in Acts, we see the disciples carrying out this same approach that by placing priority on the Word of God and time spent with God. You and I cannot effectively be sent from Jesus. We cannot do things for Jesus until we have been with Jesus. Look, if I was to summarize everything that I've said this morning, it would be that the problem that we have is we're not spending time with Jesus. That's the problem. Can I remind you this morning of the one who pursues you in the midst of all of your failures? Can I remind you that he loves you with an everlasting love that goes far beyond you or my ability to comprehend? And can I also remind you that the Bible said that there is nothing that can separate you and me from that love? Can, can I remind you who he is, that he is Jesus. He is the one that we are sitting before today. He is the Son of God. He is the salvation of the world. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the carnation of God our Father. He is before all things. All things were created for him, and all things were created through him. He is the creator. He is the sustainer of all that there is. And yet he chose you, and he chose me. In his majesty of who he is, be captivated by the reality of who he is. Listen, don't allow your life to be like Martha. To be captivated by the temporary. To be driven by the tyranny of the urgent. To be distracted by accomplishing things that have no eternal significance. Can I remind you this morning to respond to what Jesus told Martha over 2,000 years ago and what he is telling us today. To choose the necessary, to choose the good, to choose Jesus. Listen, God doesn't need anything from you. God has done so much for you. And that is the premise of discipleship for you and for me is that we would sit at his feet, that we would not be distracted about doing. Doing is on down the road. It is after being. 
But so many people have put the cart before the horse and said, well, if I do and I do and I do, eventually I will be. And then many people spend the rest of their life, maybe that's you, you've been in church for a long time and you've been doing a lot of things and yet there is no source of joy in your doing. It is because you never were able to be. So for some of you, maybe you need to go back to the feet of Jesus and you need to say, Jesus, look, I, I've been distracted. I've been focused on me, and I've been focused on everything else. But I want to be like Mary. I want to sit before your feet. I want to learn from you. I want to spend time with you. And from that, then we can hear, we can listen in that silence what God intends for us to be a part of. And from that, that's where our joy comes from, is being who God wants us to be. So choose the necessary Choose the good. Choose Jesus. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much. God, that you still call us in the midst of our busyness.